morning, church. How you doing? Good. Glad you're here. Hey, we have a moment to celebrate. Uh, this is Erin McGrew. Yes. She is an associate in our student ministry. She's over girls' discipleship. But she has just graduated with her master's from the Dallas Baptist University. All right? Yes. Yeah. So, Aaron, congratulations. We're very excited. We love having you here. Thanks for all you do. And because of that, we want to give you a Bible in a box. All right? It's a really cool Bible, so you take it out of the box and it works better. All right? Thank so, congratulations. You. Thank, you, Thank so you very much. Let's give her another round of applause for all she does. She's great. She's just a fun person. Get to know her. Take her to lunch. She loves coffee. Um, so, just want to put another plug. Uh, tomorrow morning, starting something different. At 8 o'clock on our Facebook page at the church, Facebook Live, uh, I'm going to start a teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. At 8 o'clock in the morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I don't know how many weeks this will take, but we're just going to do a walk through the book of Ecclesiastes, Old Testament book, one of my favorite Old Testament books. Because it deals with life, deals with the pain and the struggles that we go through. Uh, Solomon, who wrote it, the man who had wisdom, yet none, nothing seemed to connect with him. Nothing seemed to fi- provide fulfillment. We've all been there. Some of us may be there right now. And yet he gets to some answers. So I hope you'll join us tomorrow, uh, 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, you guys have a pass not to go to school. So I just want you to know that. Um, not really. But um, if you don't see it at 8... That's Facebook Live records it, so you can go back and check it out later. But just kind of a new way to study through a, a, a book together, all right? So I hope you'll be there. Last Sunday, we started a new series called Broken Before Breakthrough. And kind of the, the motivation behind that title is if you've ever studied any great awakenings, and I know all of us have, or any big movements of God, or even as you study through Scripture, people who had a calling from the Lord, it typically began with some kind of breaking, uh, a breaking over sin, a breaking over attitudes, a brokenness over something, a tragedy in life. And out of that brokenness, they experienced a breakthrough. So just a common pattern of breakthrough, which most of us want to break through, but there has to be a brokenness first. And that's why we're dealing with this uh, through the book of First John, as he deals with this issue of sin, people in the light and people in darkness. So last week we looked at the first chapter, and it just started with his Christology, his thoughts on Jesus, his theology of Jesus, and he talked about that the Word became flesh. And John knew this to be true. He knew Jesus is the Son of God. He knew that he came to die for the sins of the world because he experienced it firsthand. John walked with Jesus. He was one of the disciples. He talked with Jesus, ate with Jesus. He lived with Jesus those three and a half years. And so he comes as an eyewitness to the experience he had with Jesus to say, based on this doctrine of who Jesus is, all this other stuff I'm about to write that you need to know about. And so we talked about, then he talked about the comparison of light and darkness. He said people who are in God are in the light, in the light of God's love. But yet there are some who are impersonators, who look like they're in the light, talk like they're in the light, maybe in some way act like they're in the light, but they're actually still in darkness. The focus of chapter 1 was really kind of for those outside of the family of faith that tried to kind of creep in looking like something they weren't. So obviously there are people who are imposters to try to act like a Christ follower, talk like a Christ follower with ill intent. But I also believe that there are some who think they're okay with God, talk like they're okay with God, look like they're okay with God, but they're really not okay with God at all. 
we talk about cultural Christianity, that there are many in the Bible Belt, and I think in America as a whole, that feel like they're good with God. I mean, they've gone to church a few times. Maybe they walked an aisle. Maybe they got baptized. Maybe they signed a card. Maybe they went to Sunday school class. Maybe they taught Sunday school class. And they've done all these churchy, godly-looking things, but they've never been transformed. Jesus really doesn't rule their life. He's not the leader of their life. And so, because Jesus says that, right? In, in the end times, there will be many on the last day who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we know you? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? Didn't we do all these things in the name of Jesus? And Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me because I never knew you. Well, to me, that just that this has to be people in the church. How many people think that they're okay with God when they're not? That's inside and outside the church. I would dare say there are people here today that think and look and act like they're okay with God, but they're really not. So how do you know? Well, in chapter 2, John kind of starts his focus more towards those in the church, and he deals with this issue, continuing this idea of sin, and he also presents for us three tests to show if we are in the light or if we're in the darkness, if we are truly in the light and transformed or if we're an impersonator, an imposter. When I was growing up, there was a television series called Mission Impossible. I don't know if you ever watched that. And then when I heard that they were making a movie called Mission Impossible, I was super excited about it. Now, it, wasn't, it was kind of based on the television series, but not so much because the movie has Tom Cruise in it, right? The lovely, respected, talented Tom Cruise. Still don't know why he broke up with Katie, but still Tom Cruise, right? As Ethan Hunt, the, the main character in the Mission Impossible movies. And one of the things I love about this movie is Ethan Hunt is a master of disguise. He can impersonate anybody. There's all this cool effects that makes that happen. In fact, you can go on YouTube and there are videos of just all the different people that he's impersonated, just taking off mask after mask after mask. Well, here's one of those clips. I made that same face that she did when I saw that. How cool is that? I thought that was John Voight. No, it's not. It's Tom Cruise. It's Ethan Hunt. That's amazing, isn't it? Okay, it's Hollywood, but still, come on, work with me. So John says to us in this chapter, there are a lot of people just like that. They wear the mask, they put on the uniform, they carry the Bible, they have a Jesus fish on their car, but they're not a part of the family of God. That's kind of scary to think about, because the question is, am I? <laughs> well, okay, if some are and some aren't, how do I know? How can I be sure? I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because that's what he's going to deal with. In our, it's very appropriate today because in our world, identity theft is rampant, right? We have all these things to help protect us against having our identity stolen. We have retina scans, facial recognition, thumbprints on our computers or other things. We have DNA tests, ID cards, all these things that we have in place to try to prove you are who you say you are. And the reason we have all those things is because there are a lot of people who aren't who they say they are. There are imposters, there are impersonators who want to steal your identity and act like they're you and take all of your stuff. Well, John was dealing with this the same but only a different level. So the question is, how do you know if you're a spiritual imposter? How can we identify those who are truly in the spirit and in the light and those who are not? Well, he gives us three tests. We'll look at two today. We'll look at the third in a couple of weeks. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open 
to 1 John chapter 2. Let's look at the first two verses together as he deals with this issue of spiritual identity. There, there are no spiritual scans that I've seen. I've Googled. I didn't find any. There's no fingerprint for your spirit. You can determine whether this is really, if you're a person of light or a person of darkness, but he, he deals with this. 1 John chapter 2, first two verses. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That's a pretty good goal. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the first mark of a Christian, a true person in the light, a Christ follower, is that he or she has renounced sin. I write this that you will not sin. And then tongue-in-cheek, he kind of follows that up and says, but if you do, on the occasion that you do, if you, you might sin, but we know that we sin, right? I mean, that's the goal. That's a great goal, that we renounce sin. In other words, sin is not a part of our life. We are trying to make sure that sin is not in our life. We are not following sin. We're not pursuing sin. We're not allowing sin to remain in our bodies. We're not living in the realm of sin. Now, we still sin. We still make mistakes, we still disobey, we're still rebellious, but that's not our pursuit anymore. Because when we're in the darkness, that's the only choice we had, was to pursue sin. But now we're in the light, and so it's different. I write that you will not sin, but if you do, and sin will always be a struggle for us. And understand, John is not, the goal is not perfection, because we know that we will not be perfected this side of heaven, but the goal is progress. Are you more like Jesus today than you were yesterday? This sin, this habit in your life that you struggle with, are, are you overcoming it more today than you were last week? Are you dealing with this? Are you acknowledging this as a weakness and you're asking the Lord to help give you the victory in that area? This is progression that we seek. And he says when we do sin, and we will, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus, the righteous one. We're not righteous. He's righteous. He has made us righteous. He's the righteous one. He is perfect. Webster Dictionary defines advocate this way. A person who pleads another's cause or who speaks or writes in support of something. You may have seen on the news this week, Steve Gleason, former NFL player, just received the Congressional Gold Medal for his work and effort towards Lou Gehrig's disease. Here's Steve, a picture of him, a football player. I think in 2011 he contracted Lou Gehrig's ALS disease, which is a terrible, debilitating, deadly disease to which there is no cure. And so as a response to this, he has become a mouthpiece, an advocate for those who suffer with this same disease, trying to raise money, trying to raise awareness. His goal is that we will find a cure for this terrible disease. He is an advocate. He speaks. He has it, but he also speaks on behalf of those who suffer from this, that there, there might be some relief. So John says the same thing about Jesus. He is an advocate for us. Not that he sinned, because he didn't sin, but he's an advocate for us who do sin. He's an advocate to who? The Father. And then he uses an interesting title, an atoning sacrifice. Back to the Old Testament sacrificial system, they would sacrifice a lamb to atone for the people's sins. In other words, that lamb theoretically took all the sins of the people for that year and, and the priest killed that lamb, thus 
asking for forgiveness for those sins. So Jesus was our atoning sacrifice. He was the lamb, the unblemished, the perfect lamb, the sinless lamb who became our sin. He was sinless. He took all of our sin upon himself, and he died on the cross. We should have died because we sinned. He took our place. He was our substitute. He atoned for us as a sacrifice. Now, the sacrifice basically is the word propitiation. That's a big seminary word. That means Jesus regained favor from God towards us. Because when we sinned, we sinned against God. And we made God angry. Our sin made God angry. And so because of that, because we are sinful, we deserve to die, which was punishment for being sinful. But Jesus atoned for us. He was our sacrifice. Therefore, he regained God's favor for us. God was angry. God is God of wrath and judgment. He's also love. So out of love, he sent Jesus to atone and sacrifice for us so that we can experience life. It goes back to the first few verses of this letter. So this is how he describes Jesus for us. And then he makes a very important statement. He said he did this for the whole world, not just for us. That's one of our value statements in our church. We believe the gospel is for all people. We believe Jesus died to save the world and everyone in it. Not just a select few, but salvation is available to all. Not all receive it, many reject it, but it's available to all. To everyone here, you can be rescued from the pain and punishment of your sin if you accept the truth about Jesus. And then he gives us three tests to reveal if we really know God or not. Do we really know God or are we just impersonating that we know God? Do we say and, and look like we're in the light? I mean, we even have a Jesus fish on our car, right? That's how great of impersonators we are. Or are we truly in the light? How do we know? I love this quote from Sorian Kierkegaard. He said, there are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. The other is to refuse to believe what is true. Two ways that we can be fooled. And this is where John deals with us today. Are you being fooled? Again, some of us deliberately act like we're in the light, but we still live in darkness. But I believe many think they're in the light. But in actuality, they still live in darkness because they can't pass these next tests. Now, there are certain things in our world that when you mix them together, they don't combine. They, they stay separate. Magnets. Well, here's a video to show you what I'm talking about. Okay, so we're here at the first Burleson Science Lab. And I want to show you by an experiment to demonstrate what we're talking about this morning, about there's some things in life that when you mix together, there's no change. It doesn't cause any effect. So like when you take light and darkness, light always wins, or oil and water, you pour oil inside the water, and they separate. They don't really impact each other in any way. But there are some substances or chemicals that when you put together, always cause a change reaction. That's what I want to show you now. Okay, so we moved outside because I want to show you what happens when you take Mentos and you drop it into a two liter bottle of Diet Coke, all right? So now we're going to have a little bit different reaction.
So there's some things that when you put them together, change is always going to happen. Okay, so kids, I want to give a disclaimer so I don't get any emails. You should try this at home. It's really cool. And it's just Mentos and Coke. That's all you got to have. Right, do it outside because it's messy. But it is really cool. So I, I, I highly recommend you give this a shot at the house. It's really cool. All right, so you take those chemicals, there's change. Mentos and Diet Coke, there's an immediate change, a reaction. There's some things in this world when you combine them, there's going to be a reaction. There's going to be a change. John is saying this. If you truly have the Holy Spirit in your life, there's going to be a change. If God really possesses you, if you are really in the light, you are going to change. If you look at your life before that moment that you gave your life to Christ, that you walked down an aisle, that you signed a card, that you were baptized, and there's not any difference then and now, you don't have Jesus. You're not in the light. You're still in darkness, maybe even deeper darkness if you think that you are in the light, but you're not. Because if you haven't been changed, if there's no evidence that you have been changed, you don't have the Holy Spirit of God in you because you can't help but change. You cannot stay the same if you have the Spirit of God, right? Amen? You can't. It is an impossibility to stay the same. And if you are not growing in your faith, there should be some concern. That's the beautiful thing about God, right? Jesus says, come like you are. Come jacked up, messed up, broken. You come just like you don't have to fix a thing. You come to me, I will receive you, but I love you too much to leave you that way. I will change you. You cannot change you. I will change you, Jesus says. I will forgive you. I will heal you. I will restore you. I will empower you, but you are going to change. So one mark of Christianity, renouncing sin, the second is we experience a change, and this is the behavior test. Look at what he says, what John writes in verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a what? A liar. And the truth is not in that person. And who's the truth? Jesus is the truth. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So here's the test. How do we know that we know? How do we know that we really know God? How do we know that we really are in the light? This is the behavior test. The first word, you know, that's a... It's written that it means continual, a continual knowing, a progressive knowing. The second word, we know that we have known, means it happened at one point in time, meaning you at one point gave your life to Christ, inviting him to be the leader and forgiver of your life. It started there, but it's continual. Just like in a marriage relationship, you had a, a wedding date, you got married, but you've grown together, you've, you know more about one another than you did back then. It's progression. Same thing in our spirit. As we know God, there was a point that we gave our life to God, but it's been a continual learning process. We continue to know him even today and, and will for eternity. We know that we know. 
So if you really know God, your behavior will change. People will start to notice a difference in you, how you react to difficulties. He doesn't say you can tell that you know God because nothing bad happens in your life anymore. (laughs) Because we know that's not true. He doesn't say your circumstances will change, but you will change. How you approach circumstances, how you handle difficulties, your worldview, your outlook on life. Your attitude from negative to positive, all this is evidence that you have received the Holy Spirit of God. Your behavior will change and people will notice. And then he gives, here's the goal, guys, live like Jesus. Here's the standard. Here's what you're shooting for, live like Jesus. If you truly have the Spirit of God, this is your goal, live like Jesus. Now understand something, this is important. Living like Jesus is the effect of being in the body of Christ, being in the light. It is not the cause. Let me say that again. This is important. Living like Jesus is the effect of being in the light, of having the Spirit of God in you. It is not the cause. In other words, you cannot earn heaven. You cannot, good works will not rescue you from sin. You can do a lot of good things, and that's awesome and that's wonderful, but it will not save you from sin. Only Jesus, only relationship with Jesus Christ will rescue from the the penalty and the pain and the punishment of sin. So many people work, well, are you going to go to heaven when you die? I think so because I've done a lot of good things. That's not the right answer. There's only one right answer. Good things are good, but they're not enough. Because how much is good? What's good enough to get heaven? But is the effect, because we love God, then we want to do good things. We want to be involved in his kingdom. We want to do good works. And then he says, our love for God is made complete or perfected in us. What does that mean? Well, first of all, we know and we believe in Jesus. Our love is being perfected because we know and we believe in Jesus. And that belief means we've trusted him. The Bible says even the demons believe in Jesus. But this belief is a trust, a giving in our life. Secondly, we have no fear of judgment. The Bible is very clear. We will all stand before God one day in judgment and give an account for our lives. But as a Christian, I'm not worried about that day because I know I will be proclaimed not guilty. I will hear the words, enter into your eternal reward, enter into heaven. Because Jesus is the leader and forgiver of your life, the reward for that is that you spend eternity with God in heaven. So I don't have to fear that judgment day. And the third thing is the love of God that is in us because of him becomes the love for God. In other words, God loved us first. God loved you first. Look at somebody and just say, God loved you first. And because he loved us first, we can love him. If he hadn't loved us, we couldn't love him. If he didn't pursue us, if he didn't come after us, we we couldn't find him. (laughs) Out of his love, he pursued us. So what John is saying is you need to become impersonators of Jesus. You need to become imitators of Jesus. This is how you know. Become an imitator of Jesus. And he says we must, not that we should, or if you think about it, or if you're good with it. No, we must become and live like Jesus. You guys know the word doppelganger? It's a German word, which literal translation is double walker. And it's more than just somebody who kind of resembles you. This is like an exact copy. 
the, the real word means an exact copy, someone who looks exactly like you do, walks like you, talks like you, dresses like you. There's actually an app you can download and put on your phone that will help you find your doppelganger. So I did that this week, and this is what mine came up with. <laughs> I was amazed at the accuracy of this app. I couldn't believe how right on it was. I mean, that's on point, right? I don't even know which one's me. Well, the glasses. That's the giveaway is the glasses. Now, Robin didn't think so, but I, I can't. How can you tell, right? It's just, it's perfect. Now, I, I don't, Matthew and I don't act alike, all right? All right but everything else is just spot on, right? I'm glad you laughed at that. But kind of what John is saying is you need to be Jesus' doppelganger. You need to look like him, act like him, walk like him, talk like him. Don't dress like him. That might be weird. But imitate Jesus. This is our goal. And then he gives us a second test. Look at verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new commandment but an old one, which which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing to you a new command. Its truth is seen in him. And in you, because the darkness is passing, praise God, and the true light is already shining. And here it is. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So again, John's focus in chapter 2 is towards the church because he calls us brothers and sisters. So that suggests a family relationship. You can't be in the family of God without God. He said some of us, even in the family of God, are walking around in darkness. And the evidence of that is because we hate another brother or sister in Christ. This is the test. So he starts with love God, which leads to investing in people. It's not by accident that our acrostic life starts with love God. Everything we do starts with our love for God. Because we've received the love of God, we can have love for God, and we can have love for one another. And that leads us to invest in people, to fellowship with believers. Fellowship, the Greek word koinonia, which means to have something in common. What you and I have in common is Jesus. Maybe not a lot else, but Jesus is enough. So you cannot claim real knowledge of God that does not lead to communion and community. If you say you really know God, we know that we know, we really know God, what's going to happen is you're going to grow in your relationship with God. You're going to have a desire, a hunger for a deeper relationship with God, communion. And the other side of that is you're going to grow in community. We are a community of faith. You can't say, I really know God, but you're not growing in a relationship with God and you don't love each other. John would say, you're a liar. You say you love God, but yet you have hatred or you've acted hatefully towards a brother or sister in Christ, you're a liar. And the truth, Jesus is not in you. You walk in darkness, though you may think you're in the light. This is heavy. So when he says live like Jesus, what does that mean? He means love others. This is the answer. Now, Christians, we're supposed to love everybody, right? But isn't it interesting that the real test is how we love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? I would have thought it would have been how you take care of the poor, how you feed the hungry. That's, that's the test. 
how you love those far from God. That, to me, that would be the test, right? But God says, no, how you love each other in the family. That's the test. That's the evidence if you're in light or if you're in the darkness. Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples when you have what? Love for one another. For one another. In the family of faith. At First Burleson. In the church. Why? Because we're going to spend a lot more time together than most likely we will with anybody else. If you've been in a family, you know you love each other, but sometimes you rub each other the wrong way. <laughs> the more you grow in an intimate relationship, the more opportunity you have to hurt one another. So Jesus said, John reiterates this, love one another. If you hate a fellow Christian, you stumble around in darkness. In your life right now, be honest, do you feel like there's a cloud hanging over your head? Are you frustrated? You feel like you're not growing in your faith, you're not maturing? You feel like your prayers aren't being answered, your prayers aren't being effective? You're struggling just like, I'm just stuck. Could it be that the reason you are experiencing this is because you've expressed hatred towards another brother or sister in Christ? I mean, let's just get real. Let's deal with this. It could be your spouse. could be your children. could be your parents. Because he says, if you are treating each other this way, you're going to walk around in darkness. You're going to stumble around. Because you've been blinded by the darkness. Because you think that I can live this way and I can express hatred towards another brother or sister in Christ, but yet I can experience all the blessings of God and I can blow, blow and grow in my faith. He says, you're fooling yourselves. You're a liar. But hey, let's be honest, I don't hate anybody. I don't hate anybody. That's a strong word. I don't, I don't wish anybody ill will. I don't wish, wish anybody to die. But okay, have you gossiped about anybody lately? Have you told stories about another Christ follower lately? Have you shared rumors? Have you sent out a mean tweet about another brother or sister in Christ? Have you ignored another brother or sister in Christ? Have you seen them coming and you walk the other way to avoid them? Have you mistreated? Are you a spiritual bully? Have you failed to stand up for another brother or sister in Christ when others are talking bad about them? Again, it may be your spouse that you've treated this way. Maybe your children, your parents, your life group leader. Maybe your church staff. You walk in darkness. People of light don't treat each other that way. I love this statement by Anne Lamott. You can safely assume You've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. <laughs> oh, I can justify my hatred. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they're like. You don't know what I know about them. There's no justification for expressing hatred, evil, darkness towards each other and the family of God. Why would an outside, unbelieving world want anything to do with us if we can't love each other? How can we love them if we can't love each other? We're related. We're connected. We're in Jesus. It's got to be different. If we really want to be a church where it's easy to make friends, a great place to make friends, then we have to love each other. If we want to reach those who are far from God, that they can come in and find relief and joy and hope and peace and love, we have to love each other.
We even have to love the Methodists. And they have to love us, which may be harder. All right? Here at church, sure. But other believers in other denominations, in other parts of the world, do we love? So loving our brothers and sisters in Christ is evidence that we are walking in the light. I saw this on Facebook yesterday. I wish I'd seen it a couple days earlier. I put it on the screen for you, but I'm just going to read it. It says, great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. Wow. How many times have we been small-minded? How many times have we seen a brother or sister in Christ heading the wrong direction and all we do is talk about them? Tell others terrible things they've done rather than go get them and love them. Now next week we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this test. There's a lot of stuff here. And then in two weeks we'll look at the third test which has to do with doctrine. But So here's the challenge. I want all of us to ask ourselves. First of all, am I seeking God with everything I have? Am I acting more like Jesus? Am I more like Jesus today than I was yesterday? And am I loving all believers, even the ones that are hard to love? Even the ones I don't understand? Even the ones I don't really like that much? You didn't say like them. You said we're to love each other. So, let's get a little more personal. Is there anyone in our church that you have shown hatred towards? Is there anyone in our church that you've spread gossip about? Is there any, anybody in our church that you've hurt with your words or with your actions? And what you need to do is you need to confess that to God. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to just forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we need to confess it to God. And then we need to apologize to that person. Whether they accept your apology or not, shouldn't stop us from doing the right thing. So in just a second, I'm going to invite our musicians up and we're going to have some ministers in the front. And maybe you just need to come up and pray about that. Maybe, maybe you realize today the Holy Spirit has convicted you because you've hurt someone. And the first step is to confess it to God. And the second step is to make a plan how you're going to go make this right. Or maybe you've been hurt by somebody in the church. I meet tons of people all the time that have been so hurt by the church, they're never coming back. Some of us here may have been hurt by someone in the church. It's time just to turn that over to God and let him begin to heal us. Whether that person ever apologizes or not, you can experience healing and redemption and restoration. Because God does that. We don't. So our minister is going to be here and they'll pray with you and they'll talk with you. Uh, we can help you if you need counseling. You know, we can take it to that level. And they're going to be hanging out after the service as well. If you don't feel comfortable coming down during the service, you want to come after, they'll be hanging out. We're here for you for whatever it takes. So I want to pray. 
and then we'll have a chance to respond. Will you pray with me? Father, this is a tough one. I mean, just kind of hitting this at ground level today and how we would treat one another. And we want to be people of light. We want to be people in the light. And we want to spread that light to this dark world. But you just told us we have to start with each other. We have to start right here. The world is not going to believe in you if we can't love one another. And not just a surface love, but it's your kind of, it's that agape love. It's that God kind of love. Love based not on position or accomplishment or finances, but to love each other. Even when we're unlovely, even when we're difficult, even when we're weird, even when we don't understand each other, maybe even when we don't like what each other's doing. We are called to love, to love each other like you love us. Jesus, that's a high standard because you're perfect. And it's frustrating because we know that we're not. One day. But Father, I pray that your house here at First Burleson will be known through our community state, country, through the world as a place. If you need to experience love, you need to get to first burlesque. If you're hurting and broken, your life is so jacked up, you don't know what to do, just get to first burlesque. They will love you and they will help you. They know how to love. And the people will see us and hear us talking about each other and celebrating and going to lunch together and having each other in houses and hanging out and, and experiencing joy together. And they, they're going to want to know what in the world is, makes those people so different. How can they be so happy yet they face everything I do? And Jesus will point them to you. Because you are the reason. May we be the family of faith you've called us to be. And if we are guilty of gossip and slander and hatred and evil and meanness, help us to stop it today. In Jesus' name and in his power we pray.